liftoff and the clock has started. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 15 of Connect 5, the exclusive podcast from ATD Central Iowa, bringing you the stories, insights, and need-to-know information right from the people who have it to help you thrive in talent development. ATD Central Iowa is Iowa's largest chapter of the National Association for Talent Development, focused on bringing our members high-impact programming, resources, and connections to support personal and professional development and continuous growth. Check us out at atdiowa.org and all of our social media channels to learn more about the benefits of membership and how you can get involved. I'm your host, Adam Rich, and we've got an incredibly special guest here in the virtual studio today who goes by the name of Tim Slade. Tim, welcome to Connect 5. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, now I'll I'll be honest with you. There are few, if any, people in the game right now who are more revered in the e-learning world Mm. than you. But for those people who have not yet immersed themselves in all things Tim and use your experience like I have to get better at their job, tell everyone who is Tim Slade. Oh, gosh, I am a very boring person out of Phoenix, Arizona. Um, Yeah, I don't know. My name's Tim and I work as a freelance e-learning designer and instructional designer. And um, I I fell into this industry about 15 years ago. And uh, when I fell into it, as I'm sure we'll we'll talk about with some of the questions you'll ask me, I mean, I had no clue what I was doing when I was when I was first getting started. And um, uh, I, I had to figure it out as I went along, like a lot of folks do in our industry. And uh, and over the course of those those years, I discovered that, you know, what I really wanted to focus on was creating resources that would help others in my the position I was in so many years ago, um, create resources that help them to learn all the things that I wish I, I'd known or wish somebody would have handed me when I was first getting started. And so that's what I do. And how, how did you get into the world of e-learning? Yeah, yeah. I used to, uh, I don't have any background or education in instructional design or e-learning development. I uh, I used to catch shoplifters for a living and I have a degree in criminal justice. And uh, like a lot of folks who work in our industry nowadays, I one day my boss came along and he said, hey, you're really great at catching shoplifters. There's a role um, at the corporate offices that was the, the, the retailer I was working for at the time. There was a role to as a training coordinator to create training content for other people who caught shoplifters. And so I applied for it thinking that it was going to advance my loss prevention career. And, and I ended up discovering instructional design and e-learning and that that was the rest was history. (laughs) That's a fabulous entry point story. And one, I don't think I've ever heard before uh, going from catching shoplifters into the e-learning world. Uh, But you got there nonetheless. And uh, if I'm going to be honest, what you are doing right now, uh, so creating custom e-learning, teaching other people about instructional design and e-learning, and then consulting and coaching about e-learning, mm-hmm. for me, at least, sounds like an absolute dream job. And, and I work in organizational development. I don't get to do as much of the training creation as I used to do in previous roles. Um, but really, it's like, I think in an alternative universe, it, you're like living my fantasy life. So I'm curious to know, like, what is it really about this e-learning, instructional design, like this stuff that really ignites your fire? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I love about it uh, and the thing that that made me fall in love with it when I first fell into it so many years ago is that specifically with e-learning, it's this really fascinating and fun intersection between teaching people stuff and helping them perform better. But 
you know, the thing that I really love about e-learning is it also incorporates this multimedia component and creating something that involves graphic design and visual design and interactivity. And it's this, it's just this really interesting intersection of all sorts of things that allows you to be creative and um, solve problems at the same time. And and how um, how did you get from where you because you you know kind of kind of got into it through you know uh, security but like how do you, what was that transition like or or what was the story that got you you know essentially realize you can make a living in doing this stuff on your own because I feel like you've built a, a pretty incredible brand for yourself uh, yeah. over the years to do this so tell me a little bit about what that journey was like. Yeah, you know, I was uh, when I first fell into the industry and I, I started climbing the corporate ladder. Um, at some point, I realized that I really wanted to be working in the industry, not just um, at an organization who happened to have an e-learning developer on staff. And what I mean by that is I I wanted to do whatever I could to help others who were new to the industry. And I think that came from the fact that when I first fell into the industry, I I had such a deep sense of imposter syndrome, thinking that I was some exception to the rule that I just happened to fall into this and everyone else around me was super educated and um, trained on instructional design. And it actually wasn't until I attended my very first conference. It was a learning solutions conference in Orlando, and this was in 2010. I attended that conference and I discovered uh, to my surprise that everyone most of the people there were like me. They'd fallen into it by accident and they were kind of figuring it out along the way as I was. And um, and so it was It was after attending that conference, uh, then I thought, oh gosh, well, maybe I could share my experiences and help others. And so I, I spoke at the learning, that same conference uh, three years later. Um, and I discovered that, you know, I had the ability to, um, take what I had learned by uh, figuring it on my out on my own and being thrown in the deep end of the pool to um, you know to be able to help others in some sort of meaningful way and and that's just sort of kind of evolved over the years. I um, I was speaking at conferences for many years and then I worked for a company called Artists and E-Learning and E-Learning Uncovered with Diane Elkins where I learned. Uh, you know I, I helped her publish books on articulate storyline and that's how I learned how to do that and then. Um, I went back to the corporate world and I got the opportunity to um, build an e-learning team and an instructional design team from the ground up. And that helped me, you know, uh, better understand how to help others learn this craft. And then when I started freelancing, I was able to kind of invest even more time in helping others. And that's when I wrote my book. And it, it just kind of it just kind of happened over all that time. But yeah. I I love a good fell into it story. If listeners of this podcast have heard almost everybody I've talked to, and this isn't just for this podcast, but like a lot of people that I know in the L and D world are like, I just just like found out that this was a thing, and mm-hmm. I love doing it, and now I've made a career out of it, and I'm I'm no different. I not to the level that that you're up to, but it's like you know coming out of school, I got a PR degree. Right. <laughs> and like I was going to go work in a PR firm. And then I realized after some PR firm job interviews that I don't have any experience and I was going to have to start at like the very bottom. And not to say that, like, you know, I had this expectation I was going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars and run the PR world coming out of school. But at the same time, like I got to a point where I needed a job, started working in a call center and then learned about corporate training and then eventually learned about instructional design and e-learning. And it was the ability to use creative skills 
um, you know, video production, audio production, all these things that I absolutely love to do mm -hmm. and figured out that there is a way to do that. So to hear another really great, I just fell into this story, uh, makes my heart so happy uh, to know yeah. that there's probably like, I don't know, Maybe, there were people out there, right, that went to school and this is like what they wanted to do. And then there's a lot of people that fell into it and there's no right or wrong way to do it. But I'm just saying I appreciate a good fell into it story. So I appreciate hearing that. Yeah, the, the majority of us fell into it. So um, we're, we're not alone. Yeah, it's good. So tell me a little bit about you are a classified or maybe classified isn't the right word, but you have the distinguished title of an articulate superhero. Mm. What is the story behind that? How does one become an articulate superhero? Oh, gosh, I don't I have no idea anymore because uh, I think the program's changed over the years. But um, yeah, you know, when I. Um, going back to when I first fell into the industry and I was using <clears throat> Articulate Studio at the time, this is before they launched Storyline, Articulate Studio was their only product. It was a PowerPoint plugin. Um, you know, a lot of what I learned about how to use that tool and e-learning development came from the Articulate community. And, and really the Articulate community was the, even before I spoke at conferences and, and did all the other stuff that I've done since then, the Articulate community was really the place where I was able to, um, I don't want to say build an audience because that was never the intention, but find ways to help people and and share my knowledge. And uh, over the years, you know, they've they've always they've worked to identify people who've been, you know, contributors not just to the community but to the industry. And and uh, gosh, I don't remember when when that happened, but um, yeah, it, it was just through it was just through participating in the community and trying to be as helpful as possible. They they didn't like have a big ceremony where you come on stage to give you crown. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> it was just an email and then a tag and a post, but it, it felt good at the time. <laughs> yeah, that's fabulous. I mean, I I can attribute. I I think you'd be hard pressed, you know. And this is Storyline is is not a sponsor of this podcast, but hey, sure. Storyline Articulate if if you want to be, you know, <laughs> we're, we're we're in. Uh, but. I can't think of a better program, you know, maybe outside of the Adobe stuff, you know, where you, where you have this community of people who freely, willingly share their expertise and knowledge about things. I mean, when I was first learning how to use it, I came into what I, so I worked for Athene USA. And when I first joined Athene as an uh, e-learning designer role, basically to help them kind of modernize and, and move away from a classroom model and do more self-study and do more blended learning things, um, I was given Articulate. I never used the tool before. I'd, I'd had some experience with, uh, you know, other video production and things like that. And we use what, Lectora, I think, in the previous employer that I was working for, but I never used Storyline. And I mm -hmm. learned it by just doing tutorials and then going out to the community and seeing what people were up to. And then people were willingly saying, here, download this file. I'll show you how I did it. And then being able to deconstruct that was so huge. And I, I'm not sure that there's many other programs or anything out there, companies out there that give you the opportunity to do that. And it's helping learning, you know, it's learning from people like you that are willing to do that. So uh, I, I think it's just incredible. And that's the one piece of advice I always give to anybody is like, how did, how did you learn how to do this? I'm like, took a bunch of tutorials. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, you know, what Articulate, the folks that Articulate we're really smart about is, you know, I think they, as I think about the, the use of community, not just as a learning tool, but as a marketing tool, you know, they were the first product I ever used uh, that ever offered a community where people could find their tribe, if you will, you know what I mean? And back when I was getting into this industry 15 years ago, uh, it was really hard to find 
you know, your people. And it was that there, that was the one place where you could find people that were doing the same things you were doing and struggling with the same things you were struggling with. And I think our, our, because so many of us fell into it by accident, uh, and we're all figuring it out together at the same time. Uh, it, it was a kind of a perfect storm of, you know, people willing to, to help others. Um, because we all have experienced trying to figure this stuff out on our own. Yep, absolutely. I'm curious to know too, like, you know, you've been in the game for a minute, been using Articulate for a while and been in the e-learning industry for a while. What have you noticed? Like, you know, what have you seen as far as how, not not just from a technical software standpoint, I mean, the bells and whistles and the things that you can do in the authoring tools obviously has grown exponentially over the years as technology has improved. But mm-hmm. what have you noticed or what, like, you know, as far as the way that learning is presented now versus maybe 10 years ago when you were first getting started or even a little bit before that, what what do you feel like are some of those things that have kind of evolved or those changes that we've seen and how e-learning is constructed and delivered? Yeah, I think, um, you know, however long ago, you know, if you wanted to design and develop an e-learning course, um, it required a very specialized set of skills and training on complicated and expensive programs and maybe you had to learn how to code stuff and whatnot and i think um you know especially when the folks that articulate as an example uh launch storyline uh, and you contrast it some of to some of the other tools in the market you know they did a really good job showing how you can um you know it was like the first real no code tool i had ever used and i think you know this so many tools that we use nowadays don't require any sort of coding knowledge. And that's been a blessing and a curse. You know, you look at a tool like Rise or similar tools and, you know, it's so easy to create e-learning nowadays compared to how it was however long ago. But what's come with that is a lot of really bad learning. You know, it's like Rise as an example. Again, I know it's not, we're not sponsored by uh, Articulate or Storyline or Rise, but it's a really good example. Is that one of the things that's interesting about Rise, the paradox of it is it's such an easy tool to use, but I actually think it's harder to create something instructionally sound with it because it's so easy to just create information dumps with it. And so with all of these tools that you see in the market nowadays that you can create an interactive e-learning course in minutes. And now with the, you know, with AI added onto that, I think it requires a, a deeper level of intention on the designer to design something that's actually sound for the learner, not just something that's quick and easy to create. Right. And I, I saw something, I mean, speaking of AI, we're, we're recording this in early November. I saw something you had posted on LinkedIn around some of the upcoming capabilities with Articulate and AI. And it just, mm-hmm. every time I see stuff like that, it blows my mind, yeah. you know, of, of, of what's coming <laughs> and how that's going to shape our role. So I'm, you know, based on your, your experience, what do you feel like, you know, knowing that this stuff is happening and, and we have the, we're going to have the ability to just, I mean, this is oversimplifying, but push a button and, and create something. Yeah. How do we stay, how, how do we stay relevant or how do you see the role of e-learning instructional designers evolving, you know, as these tools continue to grow? I think, um, <clears throat> It depends on how you view the role of an instructional designer. I think if if what you're creating as an instructional designer in your job and and what you view instructional design is simply creating and pushing content, then I think you should be a, a, a fear of your job being at risk. What AI can't do right now is it can't create learning experiences. 
And when we really go back to the core of what our jobs are as instructional designers, it is to craft learning experiences. And so I think I, you know, this is one of the hot takes I know you'll ask me about is I think AI is very much a shiny object that a lot of people are chasing, but I don't think we really understand how it's going to affect our industry. And right now, the ability to insert a description and generate an image while very cool, I'm, I'm not convinced yet that it's going to be as revolutionary just in terms of content creation, because our jobs as instructional designers isn't content creation. It's about creating experiences and uh, driving performance. And so AI is cool. It will make our jobs more efficient and easier. And as it gets integrated into these different tools in different ways, uh, I think that's super, super exciting. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think we're instructional designers will still be needed to, to create experiences with all that content that AI creates. Yeah. I love that. I love that take. And I love that way to, you know, to to say that we are you know we're creating learning experiences and I think about some of the some of my favorite projects I've ever worked on you know when I was in an e learning design role um, were ones that like we're taking people on a journey you know we're taking mm-hmm. them we're using narrative storytelling we're using interactive immersive experiences to really put people into a place where they don't feel like they're learning but they're getting out of it what we want them to get out of. Um, and I think that that's always going to be, I don't know, maybe if we look 20, 30 years into the future, maybe AI and technology will be able to do that for us. But um, I think that's a skill set that that's critical for for us today that, you know, again, at this point in time can't be replicated. So I, well, I, I think I, the last thing, I mean, just to give an example, you know, I think right now you go on LinkedIn and everyone's amazed that you can type in text and create an AI image. And but when you look at really the stuff that people are doing, the people who create the AI stuff, the stuff that they're able to do with AI that we're not even seeing, that's where it's really scary. I mean, there was a, a news report, you can Google this a couple of months back, where they were using AI to train uh, a computer to read your brain activity and then use that to spit out images of what you were dreaming. Like it could literally generate images of what you were dreaming. Or another example was you could look at a picture of something, picture of a lighthouse, and the AI was trained to your brain activity and it could generate, it wasn't a perfect image, but it could generate an image of what you were looking at. That's like, that's the next level scary stuff where, you know, AI aggregating some content and creating something that sounds like was written by a human. That's, I think like, child's play compared to what we're going to see AI really do. Right. My daughter asked me the other day, we we're laying in bed before bed and she's like, dad, are we, are we in a simulation? I'm like what? No, she's right? nine. I'm like, what, <laughs> where did, where did that come from? What are you talking about? What we're living in? I mean, maybe, I don't yeah. know, uh, but yeah, the future, the future is now. So one more, <laughs> yeah. One more question for you. Uh, and I, this is, I'm, I'm always curious to know, especially talking to somebody who is an expert in the field. What is your biggest pet peeve when it comes to e-learning? Oh. I'll give you mine. If yeah, Okay. Yeah. I'll no, give go you go mine ahead, first. Go ahead, go ahead. My, my, mine is when I take a course that's narrated, that doesn't let me do anything other than I have to sit and finish that narration right. before I can continue on. That Locked is like navigation credibility killer for me that I will immediately just tune out and hope for the what I know is coming at the end, this quiz that I can just pass it and be done with it. So yeah. narrated e-learning that I can't fast forward through. 
Yeah, there's a a big fallacy out there that locking the navigation of your course will force learning to happen as if all of a sudden you're going to go, okay, I'm going to get engaged and now learn from this. Um, Mine is similar uh, along those terms when it comes to e-learning. My big pet peeve is I call these uh, forced navigation tutorials. And so when you launch an e-learning course, and don't get me wrong, I'm guilty of having created these in the past, but I have a really good example of this. Um, When you launch an e-learning course and you're forced to sit through a tutorial on how to use the e-learning course, and and it tells you what happens when you click the next button or how to adjust the volume. And like, I get that some learners might need those instructions, but don't make all learners sit through it. And I remember once I reviewed, I was um, giving feedback on a course and this person, it was a micro learning course. And at the beginning of it, there was a, a navigation tutorial and you couldn't skip it. And the navigation tutorial ended up being longer in terms of length of content than the actual course itself. Uh, like the navigation tutorial was like seven minutes, but this micro learning was only like four and a half minutes. And I just thought that was just like, if you have to explain how to use your course, you haven't designed a very easy to use course. Nobody needs instructions on what happens to how do you adjust the volume? You know, so that's my pet peeve. <laughs> uh, that's yes. I will. I'm sure there are people sitting in their cars or wherever they listen to this right now, just nodding along with yeah. me at the exact same time. So I, I appreciate that. That's great. Well, Tim, it has been great to hear your story, get to know, pick your brain a little bit, but, and you've already alluded a little bit to what's coming next in the five, but I would like to mm-hmm. do a hard pivot and head sure. over in that direction. So, yeah. uh, are you down? Yeah, let's do it. It's time for the Well, this is the point in the show, Tim, uh, where we ask you to run down the five. So the lesson learned, something you learned the hard way through a mistake or failure, the story, a story about a memorable experience or event in your career, uh, the secret to success. So a tip or insight about what you think is the most important thing someone needs to do or skill they need to have to be successful in talent development. We've got the hot take, a controversial, unpopular opinion you have about the field of talent development. And finally, the role model. So somebody who's influential in your career and why. So let's start right from the top and let's hit the lesson learned it's the lesson learned yeah i think my lesson learned is that um you can find success without having to climb the corporate ladder you know i think especially here in the united states or in north america we are so conditioned from such a young age that we're supposed to go to school and then graduate and go to college and get in a bunch of debt and then figure out what we're going to do forever and then climb the corporate ladder and become a manager and da, 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 da. And I learned really quickly, uh, climbing the corporate ladder and managing a team of instructional designers that I really, while I love leading people, I loved my team. I really hated managing them. And so for me, you know, learning that you can, you can carve your own path and really own your career in your own way, um, you can do that and that's okay. And was that like an uh, epiphany moment for you or something you've been kind of working up to for a while at the time that you're like, you know, I'm doing this for corporate America, but I really want to do this on my own. Was it kind of a slow burn or was it something that you've been working towards for a while? I mean, what's what's interesting is that, uh, you know, when I left corporate America, I I told myself I was never going to go back to it. And then I I ended up going back to it for a leadership position to lead a team. And I, I did that because I thought that was the pathway to make more money or advance my career. And 
it did both of those things, but I, I also discovered I was really miserable in the process. And I had an inkling inkling at the time that I was not going to love managing a team, but I convinced myself that I would, because that's what we're, we all feel like we're supposed to do. And so while I would, I, I, I wouldn't undo it. I would, I would still have gone through that experience because it's helped me as a small business owner and as a freelancer, uh, it helped validate for me that, you know, managing people was just not something I was interested in. So even today, you know, as how I run my business as a freelancer, I, it is me. I don't, I, I, I do not hire, I don't have any full-time people and I do that by intention. So um, yeah, it was, it was, it was an evolution in time that, that got me there. Yeah. And it's a very, I, I love that take too, because it's, it, it's kind of an evolution. I mean, like we're at a, we're at a point in time right now with, you know, thinking about generations in the workforce and the way that our parents did things and yeah. the way that they evolved, right. Is like, that is, is not the way that things work nowadays. And there are still a number of people. I mean, I came into the workforce thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to figure out what the next thing is mm-hmm. and I'm going to keep moving up and up and up. Uh, but the there's just so many different opportunities out there to kind of carve your own path and to hear a story like yours where you kind of best, best of both worlds and you, and you learned why one thing worked and, and one thing didn't or why you found your passion in one place versus the other. But all of those experiences led you to where you are today, uh, I think it's a great example of, yeah. of, of, of how we have, you know, learned from our mistakes and, and we learn as we go. And even, even as a, as a freelancer, I'm going through a, a different versions of that. I mean, as a bit small business owner, the story we tell ourselves or the story that is told to us is that we're supposed to figure out how to scale. And I'm realizing now, you know, having a business where it, it does enough to support me and my life and my partner. And, and that's good enough. And I don't have to scale and hire a bunch of people. And, you know, it, it, that's okay too. Yeah. You're happy where you are, uh, yeah. but you learn the lesson along the way. And that's why we call mm-hmm. it the lesson learned. So I yeah. absolutely love it, Tim. Fabulous. One down, good. four to go. And next up is the memorable story. It's story time. Yeah. Yeah. I think my memorable story is, on imposter syndrome. We talked a little bit about this earlier, but, um, you know, when I fell into the industry, I had a, a, a deep sense of imposter syndrome, as I think a lot of people have in our industry. Like I said, I don't think I know anybody in our industry who hasn't experienced imposter syndrome. And, and one of the things that, um, I've discovered as I've advanced in my career is that your imposter syndrome never goes away. You're always going to have imposter syndrome and it's not about getting rid of it or alleviating it. It's learning how to manage it. And I think, uh, one of the things that I guess it's also a lesson learned, but uh, a memorable story, I suppose, is like when I went to that very first conference uh, in 2010 and I discovered that everyone else was like me and had no clue what we were doing and figuring it out on our own. It helped me reframe imposter syndrome as not about being insecure or not feeling like I belong, but really really imposter syndrome is just self-awareness that you don't know at all and that you have room to grow. And I would rather be somebody who's self-aware and realizes I have room to grow than somebody who is not aware and doesn't realize I have room to grow and thinks I'm a master of it all. And so imposter syndrome is just self-awareness. That's what it is. It's that you're self-aware that you have areas of improvement as we always do and we always will. And so that's how I've reframed that in my mind. Yeah. And how do you, I guess, how do you balance those? You know, how do you, 
Because I think that you can imposter syndrome can, can be crippling at times where you just feel paralyzed. So how do you, you know, how do you manage that? Or what have been mm-hmm. the secrets for you as far as how you've been able to kind of walk that line and reframe that and keep practicing that every day? Yeah, I don't know if I have a good answer for that. Um, you know, there, there are, if I'm being really honest, there are days where I'm like, what the hell am I doing? What I have no clue what I I shouldn't be doing this. And and I guess the realization that that those feelings are temporary. And, you know, a lot of times those intrusive thoughts or the stories we tell ourselves aren't reality. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. I think, I think that's something that takes time and practice to, to recognize are the, the things you're telling yourself, are those true or not? You know? Yeah. 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 And I mean, I, I felt those same things when I, you know, I was a, I was a delivery trainer, kind of with my path into the training world as a delivery trainer. And then I became a senior trainer. So doing a little bit more coaching of the delivery trainers and then got into design and development. And I, uh, interviewed, some one of my good friends for an episode of this podcast not too long ago, her name is Sarah Foss Jones, and she did my onboarding. I told the story during that episode, but she was uh, basically like had all the master's degrees, like all of the knowledge. And I'm like, well, how am I? I don't know anything about this. Like, what am I doing here? Uh, and I think about the same thing, like joining the board within ATD Central Iowa and even raising my hand for certain opportunities. I had this feeling for the longest time of like, I'm not ready for that. Like these people have it all together. They know exactly what they're doing and then get into that position and realize that no, everybody's just kind of figuring it out as they go. Yeah. And, and how else? And that's advice I give to people too. Like, you know, how, how do you grow in your career, continue to learn and grow? Like you got, you got to be comfortable putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, knowing yep. that you'll look back on it and, and likely, I mean, you might fail, you might crash and burn. Sure. But you'll likely come out of it a better person than you went. Mm-hmm. In. So absolutely. Yeah. Great, great story. Great story. I love it. All right. Uh, next up on the docket is the secret to success. My secret to success is being excruciatingly transparent about what uh, you want for your career. And so what I mean by that is, I think, um, you know, when you go in for an interview where you're applying for a job somewhere, or you're uh, thinking about the prospect of working for a company, a lot of times we put ourselves in this position of, you know, mm, what all the great things I'm going to do for them, what the great things I'm going to contribute to the company and all of that stuff. And that's, that's a good thing. We should be doing that, but we should also have an equal amount of thought about what's this experience going to do for me? Where is it going to get me? Because a lot of times we tell ourselves these stories. One of my big pet peeves in corporate America, if you will, is this like, this idea that we tell ourselves that we're going to find this perfect job, this perfect team, this perfect manager, and we're going to stay there forever until we retire. And that's just ridiculous. That's not reality anymore. And so, you know, whenever I, when I used to work full time, I'd get asked the question, like, where do you see yourself in five years? And my response is like, hell, if I know where I'll be in five years, like I've, I couldn't have predicted being here five years ago. And so, but what I know to be true and, you know, for people who are in their mid thirties, maybe like I am, or they're, you know, in the middle of their career, the strong likelihood is you're not going to be at that same company in that same role in that same position until you retire, you're going to, have, you're going to move on and you're going to have different roles and different positions. And so you should be thinking all the time about what is this experience going to get for me? 
and where how's it going to get me to the next place in my career? And you should be excruciatingly transparent about it. I remember, you know, the last corporate job I had, um, I was very open and honest with the hiring manager, our VP of learning, that I was going to eventually quit and become a freelancer. That's what I'm going to do. And part of the baggage in hiring me was knowing that I'm going to speak at conferences and I'm going to write a book and I'm going to be an active participant in our industry. And I'm not going to stop doing those things for you. That was being excruciatingly transparent. And they still hired me, but it freed me to feel okay to do those things while I worked there. And I gave my all while I worked there, but I was also able to be truthful and honest about what I wanted. And I didn't have to try to think about my success in secret. And so many people do that. And I just think that's, that's sad. You shouldn't have to think about your own success in secret. Yeah. I, what I t- and that's what my I, secret to success. Full, that's a great full circle. secret. To, yeah. Great secret <laughs> to success. And what I take, what I take away from that too, is it's a, it's a balancing act of, of kind of knowing, not necessarily knowing uh, where you want to go, but knowing what you want mm-hmm. and the things that bring you joy and the things that make you happy. But at the same time, being willing to, you know, give, give your all, put yourself into positions that allow you to, to do the things that you love knowing and still being open about, uh, open to other opportunities. And, yeah. and I think too, like mm-hmm. I've told people before, like one of my number one career goals, I mean, I would love if I had the gumption and the, uh, you know, the wherewithal and the motivation that somebody like you has to to be doing what you're doing. Like that would be my career goal. Uh, but at the same time, one of my kind of side goals that I tell people a lot is like, I want to never have to blindly apply for a job ever again, you mm-hmm. know? And, and, and I love what I do. I love the company I work for. I have an awesome group of people that my leader is amazing. Uh, I don't see myself doing, you know, like making any radical changes, but at the same time, if somebody tapped me on the shoulder, you know, you never know, but you have to be able yep. to put yourself in those positions, right? To 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 know what you want, and and then make sure other people also know what you want at the exact yep. same time. Absolutely, I so, agree. Great secret to success. Uh, all right, well, three down, two to go, uh, and we've alluded to this earlier, but let's expand on it because it's time for the hot take. Give it to me now. Hot take. My hot take is that the current state of AI and the rhetoric around it is a shiny object that we're chasing. And I'll tell you why I say that. Um, you know, in the 15 years I've been working in this industry, I can, I can, I can go through a timeline of different shiny objects, hot trends that people claimed were going to change our industry. And I think about, you know, I gamification, micro learning, mobile learning, all of these things had this arc where it was the hot thing for a moment and all the conferences focused on it. And then, you know, at the end of the day, we're still doing the same type of L&D that we were doing 10 years ago and we were doing 15 years ago. And a great example of this is I remember when Apple released their Apple Watch and I went to a conference and there was a whole whole conference session about how the future of e-learning was going to be creating courses for the Apple watch and that we were going <laughs> to click the next button to continue on our little Apple watches. And I just thought that's so ridiculous. That's not true. And um, yeah, no, we're not creating e-learning courses for the Apple watch and not everything is gamified and not everything is mobile responsive and nor should it be. And, you know, I think the same is going to be true for AI. I think, I think, yes, it's going to change what we do, but I don't think we're in a place to be predicting how it's going to change what we do. And what we what we see today with AI is not what we're going to see 
five years from now. And so, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe it's my age showing as an elder millennial, but I, I'm one of those people that I must sit back and let's see, and, and we'll know when it, how it actually changes. But right now it's just a, it's just a shiny object. Yeah, I hear you. It's a hot take. I want to find the person that did this, did the thing that talk about how we're going to do e-learning on an Apple watch. And I want to talk to that person. I, <laughs> Uh, no, it wouldn't be a good for a thing for me to say it was because it's somebody very influential in the industry who thought they were being really smart and no, they were not. So I'm not going to say who. All right. All right. Well, uh, it'll just be that mystery that lives on forever. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. uh, you've left me with something that I didn't know existed and I can't imagine how it ever would. Uh, yeah. so great. I, I hear you. I mean, it's AI is everywhere i mean i yeah. like linked and it could just be the algorithms and uh you know the computers that are you know i clicked on an ai thing one time so now that's all you know linkedin and twitter and everything shows me nowadays but the well x i i don't think i'm ever gonna get used to calling it's it twitter, twitter i call it it's twitter every it's every twitter. yeah every news article says twitter or x formerly twitter so i don't anyways tangent i think the, i think you still have to type in twitter to go to the to it i don't even know if you can type it i don't know but yeah it's twitter okay. as far as yeah. i'm concerned all right, good talk. We're we're good, but I agree. Uh, let's let's see what happens. Uh, but yeah, it is everywhere right now. So well, it's a great, great hot take. Quickly, what I'll say about that too is there's so much about AI that people aren't talking about that is really important. So, for example, you know, last year or earlier this year, there was a ruling out of the the U.S. Copyright Office that anything you create with generative AI, you can't claim copyright on. It's not your intellectual property. And you know, I I think we forget about the real world implications of you know, if you can't claim intellectual property, how useful is it to a company who a lot of companies who their bread and butter is the own the owning of their content, their intellectual property. And a lot of companies aren't allowing, you know, their employees to upload stuff to AI because then it contributes to the learning model that other people could use, you know. And mm -hmm. so, like, there's there's so many issues that will change and affect how we use AI that we can't even predict right now, or isn't being talked about in the right. excitement of it that, you know, the pragmat, the pragmatist in me can't help but to ignore, not ignore. Yeah, absolutely. All great points. Hot yeah. take, super hot take, but uh, one I wholeheartedly agree with Tim. So I, uh, I don't know. Not that my opinion matters about anything, sure. but mine uh, doesn't either. So it's all good. I, <laughs> okay. We're good. We're on the same page. All right. Four down, one to go, and this is our final one. It is the role model. Yeah, my role model uh, is Diane Elkins. Um, I worked with Diane Elkins for several years. Uh, she she owns and operates a company called Artisan E-Learning and E-Learning Uncovered. And um, you know, when I joined her company, I was employee number eight. Um, and then when I left, I was employee number 20 something and, um, my experience working for her and, uh, learning how to work with clients and do custom development and self-publish books and market a business and work with clients and all of these things had such a huge impact on, you know, everything I've done, uh, after I stopped working with her and, um, you know, she's still a good friend of mine and we connect all the time, but, um, you know, my, my time working for her and learning from her has been hugely influential, influential on, on my career. So, uh, you know, everything, everything I do nowadays, uh, has a direct connection back to the things I learned from her. So I, a big shout out to Diane Elkins. 
Yeah, holler, Diane Elkins. This is I, I I love a good hot take, but I think the role model is my favorite part of of mm. every episode because I love hearing how you know how influential you know like or basically like the, the value of giving and the and the mm. value of of helping other people and how much of an impact it has on people. And I can only hope that one day you know I, I can even halfway give the the stuff that somebody like Diane or the people in my life that have been super inf- influential on me. So I love. Absolutely love hearing those stories. Uh, and it's paid off for you, Tim. You got mad success. You're crushing it out there. So good mm-hmm. on you, Diane. Well done. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that is uh, all I have for you here today, Tim. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Again, I bet, you know, we were talking beforehand. I've been a follower of yours for a long time. So it really means a lot that you're willing to take the time out of your busy schedule to, to have a chat with us here today. So uh, hopefully you had a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tim. And thanks for everybody for tuning in. We'll be back again soon for another absolutely can't miss episode of Connect 5. Until then, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and connect with us on social media. Then head out to atdiowa.org for the latest information on upcoming events and how you can get connected to all the benefits of chapter membership. Once again, I'm your host, Adam Rich. And on behalf of ATD Central Iowa, goodbye from Connect 5.